If you have your Bibles, today we jump back into the Gospel of John, the ninth chapter, beginning at verse 24. When the man who was born blind, and I remind you of the things that I've said earlier, just in case you weren't here last week or you forgot, this is the first healing in the Gospel anywhere, Old Testament or New Testament, of a man who was born blind, who was given sight. It was not restored vision, it was vision. And when he has had this miracle occur in his life, he gets interrogated by his neighbors, then by the Pharisees, then the Pharisees ask for his parents, and now we come today for his second interrogation by the Pharisees. And he has for us this famous line, what do you have to say for yourself? One thing I know, I once was, and now I... Well, we started with Amazing Grace, and uh, once again, uh, the intro to the book I'm reading says that grace is like water. It flows to the lowest point, and John Newton was about as low as you could be as a slave trader and manipulator of souls and hearts and humans, and um, he wrote that beautiful song that we celebrated last week, 250 years uh, since its first being penned. But it was 16 years later, 16 years after he had written that wonderful hymn, that he supported William Wilberforce, who was a politician in England and a student, if you will. He, uh, Newton had mentored him. In fact, he wanted to go into the ministry, and Newton had encouraged him to stay in politics, that he might be able to do things for the country of England. But 16 years after he'd written Amazing Grace, he wrote a pamphlet on his thoughts on the slave trade in Africa. And from that pamphlet that was published once and then twice, it sold out every time, you would eventually find that the King of England, King George, in 1807, signed the end of the slavery trade for the United Kingdom. So today I will introduce you to um, a man's name that, uh, as you know throughout this gospel, as I've been working through it, I try to make sure everybody has a name, even if they can't find one in church tradition. I've given a few names, but uh, hang with me, please, and turn to John 9, the verse, uh, verse 24. We'll go through verse 34. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. They're referring to Jesus. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? And with some sarcasm, do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. That is an insult in and of itself. They are saying, you're not of God, for we are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. That's a lie. But they said it again earlier. 
in chapter 7, about verse 27, I think. The man answered, now, that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes, implying that only God could do that. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who will do his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Let's pray. Father, once again, as we call on your name, asking for your insight, asking for your spirit to flow in this worship time, to let me speak your words, to let us proclaim as this man did, one thing I know, and for us we could say Jesus. Hear this prayer, Lord, for we ask it in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So, if you go to the first slide, I think I might have it in there, because the man's name in church history within the Roman Catholic Church and the Orthodox uh, Church is Saladonis, and that's really hard for me to say, so I've just shortened it to Don. In fact, I made it Dandy Don, not that he played for the Cowboys. Those of you who are old enough to know Dandy Don Meredith, who did some color insight, and him and Howard Cosell had a great time on Monday Night Football. And some of you are so young, you're going, who is he talking about? But I can call him Dandy Don because this guy had to be smiling from ear to ear. Here is a man who Jesus has given sight to. Not someone who, oh, now I can see like I used to. No, this is a guy who's never seen before. And his neighbors didn't recognize him. You know, he had cleaned himself up. Uh, undoubtedly, those who had walked past him, he typically was setting begging for help, looking for some, somebody's handout, and now he is a changed person, and he's, this happened on the Sabbath. That's why they're mad at Jesus. For one reason, they're mad at Jesus, but they've done this healing on the Sabbath. Now it is probably a day, two, perhaps even three, because we find in this scripture it says they summoned for him again. So how long it took, we don't really know. But this man is excited. But the Pharisees weren't. They were angry and they were blind. They could not accept the fact that Jesus had given him sight. So they questioned him a second time. Verse 24. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give God glory, they said. We know that this man is a sinner. And I think that this text Scripture often has irony, often has sarcasm, um, but this text is full, these 10 verses we're looking at today, is full of irony and sarcasm. Give God glory by denying Christ. That's pretty strange, right? For us as Christians looking at this, impossible. Call the healer a sinner. That doesn't make sense. Ridiculous. Ask him again. Well, he's already told them once, twice by his parents, even the neighbors. That makes three times that he's told them what has happened. What did he do? 
He gave me sight. Is it not quite obvious? I can see you. Put your three fingers up, two fingers. I can see. Used to be blind. Now I can see. Do you want to hear it again? That's the sarcasm coming out. You want me to tell you again? You think it's going to change? This guy, he's kind of brave. There's a lot of discussion on how old he was. You know, to be an adult, he probably would have had to have been somewhere 14, 15 years old. And we know that the one man that Jesus healed uh, by the pool of Bethesda had been uh, crippled a long time, 30-plus years. So maybe this guy is our age, whatever your age is. And think how you would have received the criticism over and over what has happened? I've told you how many. It's kind of like some of you when you talk to your children. I've told you over and over. None of you have ever done that. I guess just my kids. <laughs> they say, give God, hang on, let me get it exactly, because I, give God, give glory to God, not give glory or give God glory, give glory to God. And it, it would make it sound like, um, if you say that God did this, you'd have to be giving Jesus some connection to God. So that is either irony or a mistranslation of the Greek. And many Greek scholars, which I am not one, say that this really is hard to bring into English. It, it should be more like, swear to God that this man's a sinner. Or tell us the truth Surely this man is a sinner. They're not really wanting the man to give glory to God because of his healing and his, his sight. They're wanting him to tell the truth because now in front of God and everybody, you think that this Jesus is a sinner, which is, of course, something he would not do. Rather than giving credit to God for a miracle, they want to punish a man who's been healed on the Sabbath. Can you see more irony there? It's like the deacon that was late for church who was supposed to take the offering up, but he had stopped to help somebody change a tire on the way to church. He'd done, I think, what God would want him to do, but yet got criticized when he got to church. Now, none of you, some of you go, which deacon out here did that? That was just a, just a pretend thing, okay? He would not call Jesus a sinner. Verse 25, he replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. More off irony, I think, is that we often fail to give God glory. We fail to give him glory. We want to claim the credit. We want to be the champion of our own lives, something good happens, is because I was smart enough. I invested well enough. I tried hard enough. I was just lucky, if you will. Or when we do give God glory, we give him the leftovers. We give him the crumbs of our faith. How can I illustrate that? That's well, hard, but let me try. William Willimon uh, is a retired, and I know Dennis will say amen, Methodist uh, bishop. Uh, so he's a great, great speaker uh, from Alabama, so he has kind of a southern wit to him on occasion. Uh, he tells a story of when he was pastoring a church in the suburbs that he led a women's Bible study. Yeah, what? <laughs> what? 
Uh, he led a women's Bible study, and these ladies, most of them were, you know, women of the church that had grown up in church. But there was a young lady, her name was Chelsea, who had been uh, basically uh, a visitor over more than one uh, Bible study because one of the other ladies is working at a uh, clothing giveaway place, kind of a you know, Salvation Army-like place that was helping uh, people in need. And Chelsea was a single mom uh, who had had a really rough life. She had been into drugs, and she had uh, had some crime in her past, and uh, she was in this Bible study, so you need to know that as I set the story up. And he says, he's trying to talk to them, uh, the ladies, explaining, have you ever been tempted and felt like God, to God be the glory, got you through the temptation? And one lady, and I could pick out some ladies' names in here, but then you'd shoot me, she said, oh, yeah, I, I've been that way. You know, I went to Piggly Wiggly the other day, and if you've ever been to Alabama, you know what a Piggly Wiggly is. Did they ever have Piggly Wigglies in Texas? Did you? Okay. When do they go away? That's sermon for another day. Yeah, I mean, isn't it you go hoggly-woggly over Piggly Wiggly? Isn't that the commercial? I, somehow I memorize that somewhere. But she, she said, I was at the Big, Piggly Wiggly, and there was a new checker, and they were training the new checker. And when I got out to my car, and I looked at my receipt, and I saw what I'd bought, and I realized that lady had not, that new young girl had not charged me for the bread. I don't know what a loaf of bread costs these days, but in Williman's story, it was like a dollar. And she said, I'm sitting there thinking, it's just a dollar. Piggly Wiggly can handle a dollar, but I felt the Lord's hand upon me. And I went up, and I told them, hey, I got out with this dollar loaf of bread, and I need to pay for it. And everybody knew, just nodded, oh, yes, that's, that's God's help. And they smiled real big. And then they said, well, I, I, I was at work. And you can insert your own name in here, man or female. And they were gossiping around the coffee pot. Never happened at your place of work, has it? No, never. Unless you're self-employed and you only work for me. I talk to myself at the coffee pot. But... This lady said, we were around the coffee pot, and they're talking about one of our coworkers. And, man, they were laying out some juicy details of something that had happened in the prior week. And she said, I was just getting ready to contribute my two cents about this person, and I realized that's not right. And God grabbed me on the shoulder, put my, his hand over my mouth, and pulled me away. Everybody shook their head, and they nodded, and they smiled real back, big. And they kind of got dead silence after that. And Chelsea said, well... Um, uh, about three years ago, she said, my, my boyfriend and I, uh, we robbed the 7-Eleven. And, and, you know, we were on that cocaine, and that'll make you crazy, you know. And uh, we came out of the 7-Eleven, and it was easy. He asked the lady for the money, and they gave us the money, and she said, we ran outside. And he said, look at that drugstore down the street. Let's go rob it. And she said, no, I'm not going to do that. She said, I don't know what it was. Something got a hold of me. She said, no, I'm not going to do that. And she said, I felt like at that point God was speaking to me and telling me to go a different direction. And Willeman said, no one nodded their head. No one smiled. And he said, I fumbled with the cover of my Bible for many minutes until finally he said, yes, I think that's what we're talking about. And let's pray. Well, I tell you what, God works in ways that are so difficult for us to understand sometimes. We are so surprised, it is so unexpected, so foreign to our experience, that's what was happening to these Pharisees, that we forget that we are not God, 
And we don't know exactly what he's doing in the hearts of every man and woman we come into counter with. The Pharisees were not expecting the Messiah to show up. Oh, they may have talked about him. They may have even preached about him. But they weren't expecting the Messiah to show up. And they weren't ready to give Jesus glory. Dandy Don was. Because if they gave Jesus glory and recognized who he was, they perhaps would lost some of their glory, some of their power, by acknowledging Jesus was the man who gave Dandy Don sight. Give glory to God. Don't rob him. Don't give him your crumbs. Don't leave, give him your leftovers. Give him glory. And finally, as we look at this passage, do the will of God. Verses 30 and 31. You know, they, of course, they, they hurl insults at him. He's given this sarcastic statement. You know, you're, you're this guy's disciple. You're not of Moses, which, I mean, that's an insult for any Jew of the day. And the man answers, now, that is remarkable that you don't know where he comes from. And I think I've alluded to that. I think that's in chapter 7. Uh, yeah, verse 27. But we don't know where this man is from. They knew where he was from. They've, had, they've dealt with him on and on, and they're still like, we don't know who he is. He says, we don't know where he comes, yet he's opened my eyes. We know, verse 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Mm. Let's look at that controversial statement that Dandy Don made. How many of you have heard God does not listen to to the prayers of sinners. Don't raise your hand, but think about it. I believe that passage has been misapplied countless times. I can remember when Dan and I were talking right before the service, I said, who was the preacher that got in trouble because he said something to the fact that God, not got in trouble, made national news, God does not listen to prayers of Jews. You know, well, what do you mean? Well, <clears throat> Scripture backs up this Dandy Don argument. Let me share with you about three or four. Psalm 66. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. 1 Peter 3, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and he, his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. James 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And then the one most people like to use is Isaiah 59, verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Hmm. Remember, however, God is sovereign. And you are not God. There is no limit to his power or his ability. And we cannot put him in a box and say that he is this or that he is that and what he will or will not do. He knows what is in the heart, as I told you earlier, in every man and every woman and child. And he hears their cry and he can choose to answer that prayer if he sees fit. Remember the cry of Naaman in 2 Kings, the man with leprosy, the commander with leprosy. He cried out. He eventually was healed. 
or King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel who went mad and then he lifted his eyes into the heavens and God eventually gives him back his mind and his position. Or like you as a parent, if you've ever had a child lie to you, disobey you, do everything you, you know, why are you looking around? I saw a couple heads turning. You know, be careful on this cliff. If you've ever had a child who did not do what you thought they should have done, and even if they were at their lowest point, if they cried out to you, Dad, Mom, help me, would you not have responded? So, Remember, this is Dandy Don's words, who is undoubtedly repeating what the Jews had taught him, that God cannot hear the prayer of a sinner. But I remind you, we each are sinners, and that each one of us, when we first asked Christ into our life, we were sinners speaking unto the Lord. So don't say, I can't pray because there's sin in my life. I will say there are some things you probably need to stop if you know you are sinning intentionally and willfully that God will judge you for and say you need to fix that in your life. But Dandy Don does ask some wisdom here. He says, the one who does the will of God. That's the one God listens to. On this Martin Luther King weekend, I offer the quote that's on that slide to you. And I have the complete quote here. Well, it's not the complete quote. It puts it more in context, and I just made it go away on my, hang on. He, he said, I still believe that standing up for the truth of God is the greatest thing in the world. This is the end of life. And the end of this life, as in the alt outcome, if you will, the, the goalpost, if you will, of life, is doing the will of God. He says the end of life is not to be happy. The end of life is not to achieve pleasure and avoid pain. Now, this is all counterculture for sure. He says the end of life is to do the will of God, come what may. The end of life, in other words, the goal of life is to do the will of God, come what may. My sister uh, would know exactly the day. Those of you who are old enough remember when MLK was, was uh, murdered in Memphis. He'd come there for a sanitation workers' uh, protests. They had, were on strike. Uh, the trash collectors, the African-American predominantly of Memphis that were collecting trash were striking and he'd come there to address them. Um, he spoke at a uh, Masonic lodge that a bishop had invited him to the night before and this is the, most people know his statement, I have a dream and uh, he, he would use that in different spurts throughout his ministry but here's his quote from that night. <clears throat> He said, I would like to live a long life. This is the day before the man died. I would like to live a long life. I just want to do God's will. That's, that's powerful. I just want to do God's will. If he allows me to go up to the mountain, well, he has. 
And I have looked over and I've seen the promised land. And I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we are people who will get to that promised land. Reading more about King, and uh, those of you I know, uh, we have a young lady that's a student at Boston University. That's where he received uh, his doctorate, and uh, I took a couple semesters there. Um, all kinds of great ML quotes. Uh, one of the things I wanted to see was there a connection between Amazing Grace and MLK. Yes, there is. He loved, and I can probably not I'll mess up her name. I listened to it and had my wife listen to it, uh, Mahala Jackson's version of Amazing Grace. It's far more a spiritual uh, presentation, but that was his favorite hymn uh, that he had her sing for him. Uh, and that song, Amazing Grace, um, is more than a song in the sense that you, you have to do more than sing it. You have to proclaim it. You have to live it out. You have to echo this formerly blind man's statement that there's one thing I know. And for you, and for me, it could be say, I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was blind and now I see. I once was destined for destruction and hell, but now I am promised heaven and life eternal with my Savior Jesus. Jesus kind of, well actually Dandy Don kind of foreshadowed. Jesus and Dandy Don had a lot in common. Look at this last verse. To this, after he'd said all this, you know, if this man were not from God, he couldn't do this. I mean, what a statement once again. I love this guy's preaching to the preachers. In verse 34, to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. You know, Jesus was thrown out of some towns. He was cast out. He was abandoned by those that he came to save. And when you do the will of God, there will be times when they will ask you to leave. Because when you love, when you forgive, when you give of yourself, when you serve, when you proclaim his saving grace to a lost world, you will disrupt them. Well, there's one thing I know. He changed me. How about you? Stand with me, please, we pray. Our fathers, we come now to a time of invitation. Let us not be found with the Pharisees who were blind to what Jesus did for that man and who he was. Let us always glorify you. Let us always do your will. If there's someone here today, Lord, as we have this invitation time and they want to come to these steps and kneel or stand and pray, there are people who will pray with them. Perhaps there's somebody here who has something they need to leave at these steps. Some behavior, some action that they have done that they know is not within your will and they need to come and confess it and leave it here. Or perhaps there's someone here, Lord, that's never accepted you They've never received Christ Jesus into their life. They've never received the new sight, the new way of looking at life through the eyes of Jesus. Let them respond as we sing together. For we know, Lord, that amazing grace that you rain down upon us. And we ask it to happen now in this invitation time. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.